0: Uh, we have been in uh, in the book of ephesians we're in a series called one in christ and uh, one of the things we've seen over the last several weeks is this doctrine uh, of the union with christ that the apostle paul has has begun to unfold and so so far these first Three chapters, I say the first three, we haven't gotten into chapter three yet, but the first couple chapters of Ephesians are showing us what it means to be in Christ. In other words, uh, sometimes uh, I'll say in my own, the quietness of my mind, uh, as I'm wrestling with some area of my life, or as I'm resisting what the Lord would have me to do in an area of obedience, and I would rather choose the path of disobedience. I like to say something like, uh, in my mind, right, I like to say, um, well, I can't do that. Uh, But actually, that's a complete contradiction to what the Lord says, because God says that those who are in Christ have new desires, new want-tos, new new empower, new empowers, new abilities that he has empowered us with in order to live a life that God has called us to live. And so we can, in other words, we're not allowed to say, uh, or or I should say, we're not, uh, we're incorrect when we say, well, I can't live this way. I can't put that desire to death. Well, actually, the Bible says you can Bible says that we can. What we need to do is come to terms with what it means for us to be in Christ, to be united with Christ. That has personal implications and it has corporate implications for us as a, a local body of Christ as well as a, um, uh, maybe a, a, a regional body of Christ and the, the global body of Christ. So to be in Christ is very significant. And that's why Paul spends so much time developing these factual statements about what it means to be in Christ, what God has done for us so that we can then live out the way that God has called us uh, to live. And so the main point of the letter overall is that we are made one in Christ through God's grace and love. And so no union can be successful unless love is the basis and the mode of operation for those who are united in, in whatever it might be. As you think about marriage, love is a uh, a decision. It's a choice. It's not simply a feeling. It doesn't, you don't have to be married for very long. You don't have to know people for very long to realize love isn't always uh, feel pleasant. The relationship doesn't always feel good. You don't always have the warm fuzzies. Sacrifice is involved and commitment is involved, and relying upon the Lord uh, to walk in the way that God has wanted us to is involved uh, in everything. And so, so Paul begins to lay these things out. He goes to great lengths to explain um, the fullness of what it entails uh, before moving to the imperative statements or commands, right? So the first few chapters deal with these indicative statements, statements of truth. And then the commands uh, come in the last uh, few chapters of Ephesians, or the second um, half of the book of Ephesians. So most recently, as Matt said so wonderfully in his call to worship, that um, we've been looking at how we as individuals were dead in Christ. And it applies to all of us, so it's plural. But he's speaking to us as individual people about what, it, what the fact that we were dead in Christ, but then that wonderful phrase, the gospel, if you will, in two words— uh, not the complete Gospel, because we need to expand upon it more but but God, but God when God intervened, he made us alive in Christ, and he 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 seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, and he intervened with great, great mercy, making us alive, so that in Christ, this would direct every aspect of our lives in faith, living for him, which means walking in good works. Now, remember, good works don't do anything to save us. There's no one in this room that can say, okay, I've done bad works. So all I need to do is do enough good works so that the math works to my favor, right? The math will never work to your favor. One sin, the Bible says, separates us from God. And so we are saved only when we come to, the, to, come to God in faith, recognizing that our sin means we deserve God's wrath. We're children of wrath, he says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. But Christ dealt with our sin problem, right? Every one of us have sin. Every one of us is entrenched in our sin. But God has dealt with the sin problem in Christ, and so now we get to live for righteousness. Now we get to live for the glory of the Lord by doing good works that further God's kingdom. And he takes care of the details for how that works in the grand scheme of things. But but we're required to set our entire life agenda for walking in the good works, which Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has prepared before the foundation was before the foundation of the world, so that we would walk in them. And now in verses 11 through 22, which we'll look at this week and next week, he unfolds what this means for us on a more corporate level, on a more corporate level. So uh, there, there are practical, personal, and corporate implications for the body of Christ at large. So let's look together at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, if you have your Bibles, open them. It's always good for you to see uh, God's Word in its context here. Or Your Bible app, open that up and look here. But if you don't, we'll have it on the screen for you to help out. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a spiritual dwell into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father your word is loaded. Your word is loaded with. Historical realities of how you have worked. Bringing redemption to people. To mankind. For thousands of years. There's so much for us to understand. Lord when. When. With the help of the Spirit, we we put our hand to the plow to, to dive in and to look at Your Word. We, we're never disappointed with what Your Word has for us. We scratch our heads often because there's so much that takes some time to understand. And Father, we praise You that You're patient with us in that. And yet You always are calling us deeper, calling us in, drawing us in, to know you more and more through your word, which you've given us to understand you. Because your word is perfect. Your word has no error in it. Your word accomplishes the purpose that you set forth for it. And it is unlike any book letter ever written. It is alive through your spirit, which you use to connect our hearts, to transform our hearts, and to give us new desires, new want-tos, and new, new understanding. In our own hearts, not not new understanding that no man has ever understood before, for there is nothing new under the sun, but but new understanding for ourselves personally. And so this morning, as we look at your word, we pray that you would help us to understand something new in our own personal understanding of our relationship with you through your word. That you would help us to understand something afresh, to apply to our lives. May we not come in and sit under the preaching of your word and, and, and then leave and then not change anything. That would be an indictment on our relationship with you. And so we pray, Lord, that that wouldn't be the case. We pray that this morning. That I personally as I preach your word, would be first and foremost personally impacted by your word, and that each person here would understand what you have for them in this marvelous text of scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we are going to see that Jesus, by crushing the ultimate dividing wall of hostility between man and God, he is bringing peace to everyone who is in him, and he is making peace one new man. Now, in one sense, uh, that may not seem um, all that appealing to everyone because we live Pretty individualistic lives, and so as a culture, for us to realize, oh, God is making one new man from two. You might say He's creating a third race, if you will, or uh, yeah, a new race, if you will, uh, made up of, of of one people. So we need to remember that we were once far off as Gentiles. He's speaking to Jews and to Gentiles, um, and Gentiles here typically just represents the nation, or, or I'm sorry, the nations. Um, so. Jesus is, is, rather, the Apostle Paul is telling us we need to remember that we were once far off. I want you to think about this for a minute. Can you imagine somebody in a, in, a, in a nation that has not had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? And a missionary comes and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in their hearts, they're impacted. And they recognize that now they can come to Christ. Imagine the joy they feel when they say, there was a time when I didn't have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. But now I'm no longer far off or or far away from the message, but I've been brought near to God the Father because I've heard the gospel, because The gospel rings true to my soul and I've confessed my sins and I've put my faith for salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That is great cause for rejoicing. He follows a similar pattern as what he did in verses one through 10, right? At the beginning of verses one, like one through three, he's saying, remember that this is who you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're not. Why? So so that you can live for God's glory through the works that you are doing. And so similarly, Paul accomplishes the same general goal here. He says, remember, remember is is not a suggestion. He's not saying, listen, if you have a bad day, uh, I would encourage you, maybe you might consider remembering who you once were. No, he's saying you need to remember. You see, remembering who we once were is what gives us an appreciation and an ongoing gratitude for what God has called us to do. When we as a people forget who we once were, when we as a people rethink that, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Nobody has ever always been a Christian. There is a point in everyone's life where we turn from ourself and we turn to the Lord in faith. And God has made us in that moment a new creation in Christ. Now, for some of you, if you've grown up in church, you may say, I've loved Jesus from the earliest, earliest ages I can remember. Well, that's fine. I'm not here to to uh, to dicker over that conversation. But that's not the same as saying, oh, I've always been a Christian. We need to remember that nobody's always been a Christian. We once were far off, as you think about um, you know just history in general, um, <laughs> there are lots of barriers, lots of social distinctions. You can look through history or you can just think for about a half a second what 's happening in our nation, even today and uh, we 've got there are racial barriers there 's narrow like this nationalism in different places, um, iron curtains of the twentieth century. Uh, and our fights to, to, to redefine social constructs that God has always defined. And there are all these things that are causing division, all these things that, that are that are barriers. I remember one time I was um, watching a movie. It was one of the first movies I remember seeing in the theater. And do they call them theater anymore? Yeah, I guess so, movie theater. Just... Well, okay. So um, anyway, so I remember sitting there, and it's this movie called Night Crossing, and it's about a family that was two families that were trying to cross um, the uh, the wall in Germany, right? So they're trying to cross cross the wall, get out of. uh, Now I'm forgetting East Germany to West Germany. Thank you. I needed some nods there. Um, And so they had made multiple efforts, but at one time they they came across. uh, th- this hot air balloon that they were in came down to the ground, and you don't care about all the details, but it came down, and as it came down, these automated uh, machine guns started going off, and and uh, I was sitting there, and I was holding this massive thing of popcorn. Uh, let's see, yeah, I think I was seven, and so I'm holding this massive thing of popcorn. I don't know what my mom and dad were doing, th- taking me to this movie. But anyway, I'm holding this thing of popcorn, and these machine guns go off. And I mean, I'm telling you, I shared the popcorn with all of the neighbors sitting around us. What is this, hot popcorn made with helium? It was like... It's still, it's still slow motion in my mind, but I digress. We don't have to look far to see not simply physical walls, physical barriers, but cultural barriers. Right? Commentators tell us that, that the Jews believed that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Right? Uh, one common motto was the best of the serpents crushed and the best of the Gentiles killed. It wasn't even lawful for the Jewish people to aid, to give assistance to a mother in need uh, in delivery. Because it was considered that why would you help her? That's just one more Gentile. To bring into the world. I mean, this is ruthless. This isn't just, you know, red team and blue team. I mean, this is vicious way of thinking about it, uh, uh, about each other, a, a, a sinful, wrong, national pride. And the Gentiles had their own hatreds for anyone that wasn't like them, right? Plato said the barbarians, which is anyone non-Greek, were his enemies by nature, The Roman Livy confirmed this in his day, and he said the Greeks wage a truceless war against people of other races, against barbarians. There was a a massive Jewish and Gentile uh, collision and exclusivity that was monumental. And Paul is writing to Jews, Gentiles, and Jews to communicate what Christ accomplishes, what God accomplishes in bringing people together in Christ. And so that's why he says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by by birth, basically, were were far off. Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. You may remember in Genesis, uh, God called Abraham. And what did God God say? He said, through you, I will bless the nations, plural. But it's going to begin in Jerusalem. It's going to begin, or let me rephrase that. It's going to begin with the Jewish people, I should say. And he says, I'm going to bless all of the world, all of the nations, through you. And then he begins by giving them the uh, instruction of circumcision, which was a visual, physical demonstration uh, of of how God's people would mark themselves off as separate from the other world. The intent was to say, this is one of the ways that you'll define yourself as as my people. And then that would grow and there would continue to be more ways. And God would say, "You, you define yourself differently, set yourselves aside differently from the rest of the nations. Why? So that they might see that you are different, that you're marked off, that you are my people. And so Paul sees the very mystery of Christ and that the goal of the gospel centered on this new man created by God, consisting of Jews and Gentiles as fellow members of the body on equal standing before God. As we think about what's happening in our nation right now, can you imagine, or not can you imagine, but you don't have to look very far to see the pride that is laced through so much of what is happening. And so Paul wants them to know that their reconciliation to God necessarily includes their reconciliation to one another. Especially other Christians. In a sense, believers will, will never be reconciled with those who are not believers, but, but we're to love them with the love that Christ has loved us with. So at the root of all racism is pride. Let's just think about this for a minute. What's going on here is racism. And so what's, what's at the root of all racism is pride. And even though God made it clear that he did not choose the Jewish people. Because of who they were. He says, because in Deuteronomy, he says, it's because I have loved you that I set my love on you. It's not because of anything that you have done, similar to what we learned about last week, but they became proud over their special status with the Lord. They became proud and they allowed that to fuel the way that they lived, even though God made it clear that God chose them in order to allow them to become a blessing to the rest of the nations. What is something that you have been blessed with that all of a sudden you become possessive of? All right, it doesn't take long. You've got two siblings. They both want this toy. One of them gets it. He or she doesn't pay for it. But all of a sudden, they take it as their own ownership. This is mine. As though they did anything to earn it. It was a gift. And so is the salvation that God has given the Jewish people. So is the salvation that God has given And so this applies to us as American Christians. Think about this. We may not be far from other nations that do not have the gospel readily readily available to them. From other nations who don't understand what it means to be in Christ. Uh, Much of our nation would claim to be Christian. And yet many of those professing believers would not be able to explain to you what it means to be Christian. So we're losing our understanding of what it means to be Christian, to be following the Lord. And God doesn't promise that our life will be this blessed forever. In fact, he doesn't promise it for a day. And we think about Christians around the world who don't enjoy the blessings that we enjoy to worship freely come together in christian unity to open our bibles to pray at home together what a blessing we have and so he says five things that he wants them to remember remember that before god saved you you were far off meaning you were without christ you were without Christ. You were living your life on your own, seeking to live a life that might help you think you were working towards your own salvation, but that's not possible. You were without Christ. You were dead in your sins. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. When God, when God came to establish a people for himself, he began with Israel. But his entire purpose all along was to bring together many nations. In fact, Gentiles were, were grafted into the nation of Israel, not as a physical nation, but God communicates in Romans 11 that this, this, this salvation, this nation of Israel, extends borders. It extends beyond borders to all nations of the world. You were strangers to the covenants covenant of promise. You were without hope. And you were without God in the world. The, 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 the Gentile nations were polytheists. So we're not talking about atheists here. We're talking about people who, who lived and they worshipped human constructs. They, they worshipped idols made by hands. They worshipped ideas in their minds of what God little G was. But they didn't actually worship the one true God. All of those other gods, little G, were nothing. But they were hearty worshipers. Friends, you and I are hearty worshipers. The question is if we're worshiping the one true God or if we're worshiping ideas that are a figment of our or another's imagination. And so Paul reminds them in these first two verses, 11 and 12, who they once were. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see that? That's just like in verse 4 above. But God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Here he says, but now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. The Greek word here is, uh, there's only one word here for he. But it's emphatic, meaning he's wanting to highlight this. So it's not just saying uh, Christ was in the mix. He's saying Jesus Christ himself. That's the emphasis. He himself is our peace. Or you might say he alone is our peace. Well, what has he done? Well, he's broken down. He's made us both one and he's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, and so making peace. Jesus came in order to, to break down all of, the, all of the the rules, or rather to fulfill them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I haven't come to, uh, to, to, to remove one jot or tittle from the law and the commandments. Rather, I've come to fulfill them. How? In my flesh. I've come to to live out the full meaning of every kind of righteousness perfectly. And then, as a spotless lamb, to give myself on Calvary as the substitute for sinners. There's no longer any any law there's no longer any any ordinance there's no ceremony there's no sacrifice there's no there are no good deeds to make peace between god and man or or between one another so just as sin is the cause of all conflict and division we talked about how how pride is at the root of all of it right it's the enemy of peace and it's the enemy of harmony we will look and this is not anything new friends we will look to find the solution in economics. We'll look to find the solution in politics. We'll look to find the, the solution in, in many, many other things. There is only one solution for the conflict that our nation faces right now, and that is in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be involved in the political conversation. Certainly we should. We're to be a city on a hill, we're to stand for what's right. We're to be involved in our communities, and, and some are called to be involved at a political level, certainly, absolutely. But but no, no uh, sense of improvement or no uh, movement in agreement from politics or in the political realm will make anyone one in Christ. Only Christ can unite us together. In fact, when the d- disagreement begins to fade, if it ever does, and people beca- begin to become more united on on economical or on, on social issues, that actually might be worse for us. It, it might lead us to think, oh, we're all liking one another now, so you know, life is good and I'll just go about living the way that I need to live rather than saying there is a spiritual war happening all around the world and in our, in our United States. And we need to be about the business of not, not seeking what's best for our pocketbook or, or seeking what's best for our social status or, or seeking what makes me look good in the community. I need to be seeking God first and foremost. I need to be living my life for him so that When others begin to hate me, I know that it's because of Christ. When others begin to to hate me, when others begin to spew vile things at me, when others begin to talk about us behind our back, we need to know that it's because we love Jesus, not because we've been hateful in the name of Jesus. Let's just be clear. But because we've been living for Jesus and that our lives are marked off as a people who are, well, not perfect, but we're made perfect in Christ. Listen to James 4. We think about envy. We think about having our own way. James says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions, uh, your lusts are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder you covet and you cannot obtain and so you fight and quarrel you don't have because you do not ask and you ask but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions peace peace that is found in Christ only comes when self dies paul said in galatians 2:20 i am crucified with Christ, Yet it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He loved me and he gave himself up for me. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So the, the progression in verses 14 through 17 that, that we're seeing here is this. That God has come to break down the dividing wall of hostility. And he's done it in his flesh. And this affects us as Christians, but as Christians around the entire world, we're no longer saying I'm of this Christian tribe or I'm of that Christian tribe. I'm a a Jewish messianic Christian or I'm a Gentile Christian. No, God has brought you together, but God has brought us together in Christ because as we see here in verse 16 and 17, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. Well, he came and he preached peace to you you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Jesus is our peace. We say this often in, in, in December and Advent. He's the Prince of Peace. And he came to bring peace among all people who would come to him. So we think about how this happens and how Jesus came to give his life for us and and how he um, he cares for us. He often speaks about a sheepfold in John 10. We don't have time to read the whole passage right now, but I want you to listen to uh, Jesus as he speaks about the good shepherd and as the door to the sheepfold. He says um, in John 10, 1 through 14, this commentator says, a Palestinian shepherd brought his sheep Into the pen at night, or erected a temporary fence of stones, wood, or mud if he was away from home. After he put the sheep inside, he counted them carefully and he put oil on their wounds from briars or sharp rocks. He lay across the narrow opening that served as the door. In other words, the shepherd himself is the door. It is only through Jesus that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so when we have peace, when I have peace, when you have peace, when your your neighbor uh, maybe has peace because they've come to trust in Christ, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all at work here. Hebrews 4.16 says that we can always draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time of need. The Bible has a lot to say about how we're to live as we are made new in Christ we to love one another. In fact, First John will go so far as to say, anyone who doesn't love is not my disciple. So let's pause and ask this question. How are you loving the body of Christ? I don't mean how you feel toward everyone. I mean, how are you walking in love toward the body of Christ? You might say, well, you know what? I don't have time to serve in the body of Christ. I just I come on Sunday... I listen, I go home, I do my thing, and I come back next Sunday. Well, you're not loving the body of Christ. Love is a verb. Love is an action. We're to endure with one another, be patient with one another, teach one another, equip one another, help one another, come alongside one another. Why? Well, if God has made the Jewish nation and the other nations who trust in Christ, one, he most certainly has broken down every kind of barrier that mankind can experience. Primarily the barrier of our sin that keeps us from the Lord and the barrier of sin that keeps us fighting one another. And At every point in conflict, we ought to be humbled. Why? Well, because we've obeyed this command to remember who we once were. To remember that I was dead in my trespasses, but now I'm made alive so I don't need to live in this way. I don't have to fight for what I think is mine. I don't have to fight for my opinion. I don't have to close my arm around uh, the kind of ministry that I think is the best kind of ministry. Or any number of things that I just can't even begin to get into that that we can sometimes get distracted with. Could you imagine if we put the same amount of effort into saying, how can we best reach Shelsburg with the gospel of Jesus? How can we best reach Centerpoint, Urbana, Garrison, Vinton? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's fellowship in the gospel. And this is what God has called us together to make us one for so that we can work together. Partner together. To accomplish these good works. That he's laid out for us. And verse 18 says. Through him we both have access. In one spirit to the father. You see father son and spirit there. So we're no longer strangers. Or aliens. But we're fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household. Of God I actually got ahead. Of myself there. When Jesus. When Jesus crushed the dividing wall of hostility between man and God, he brings priests to everyone who is in him and creates one new man as a result of it. There is nothing, brother and sister, that can divide us. There is nothing that ought to divide us. We see this very visibly as we look at the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is something that God has given the body of Christ to partake in together. I want to read a definition uh, by one uh, pastor about the Lord's Supper. It's one I read uh, a couple months ago when we preached on the Lord's Supper uh, a couple months ago. Bobby Jameson says, the Lord's Supper is a church's act. That means us as a community of faith together. We just don't practice communion in our home as a family. This is something that the body of Christ is to do together. Remember, the church are the gathered ones, ecclesia, those who are gathered. So there's a gathered component to this. When we are gathered, it's an act of communing with Christ and each other, vertical and horizontal. And we are commemorating, we're remembering, we're celebrating Christ's death by partaking of bread and wine or juice. And it's a believer's act. So you see there's a corporate nature to it and there's an individual nature to it. It's a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people because we are no longer two but one. This affects Jews and Gentiles, and it affects everyone that might have a reason for thinking they have a reason for division, I should say. Renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people, thereby making the church one body and marking it off from the world. God's purpose of of marking his people off from the world is not ever, it never has been, so that God's people can say, we're better. Oh, you think you're holy? Holy just means set apart. Set apart unto God. So when somebody says, you think you're holy, holy, Say yes, but then explain a little bit more what that means. You think you're righteous? Yes, because I'm in Christ, and Christ is my blanket of righteousness. He covers me in righteousness. Well, well, that won't make them perplexed. What a great way to begin talking about the gospel. You see, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, We get to see this lived out in front of us. And I've said this before, but it's still rather new. This is why we've started inviting you to move around a bit when we share communion. Now, we've been doing this for, I don't know, six or eight weeks or so. And so it might be easy to get into a pattern. But, right, you go to to this side over here because it's closer. You go to that corner over there because it's closer. I don't know if I'm going to totally mess things up here. But what if you just, you know, hit boggle on this thing and you said, I'm going to go to that corner back there. Because why? Because I'm going to see somebody that maybe I don't always see that sits in this area. Maybe God's going to use this moment to remind me of there's somebody that I need to encourage. Let's not look at this as simply a time to come forward and grab our our juice and grab our bread, eat it, and go back to our seats. Let's see this as an opportunity where we get to, to, to mingle in prayer and worship, remembering the Lord's Supper together as a body. Because God has made us one in Christ, we rub shoulders together. And sometimes you rub shoulders with people you don't always set out to rub shoulders with, but sometimes we shoulder bump with people. And God says, well, let's change that shoulder bump to a gesture of peace. God gave communion to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so if you say this morning, you know, I I know about God, I know about Jesus, but I don't think I'm a Christian, we'd encourage you to to hold off on eating and drinking. We'd encourage you to just remain seated and to use this as an opportunity for prayer. Maybe this is the morning you give your heart to Jesus. If you have any questions, I'll be available and would love to talk with you. would love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe instead of getting up immediately and, and moving to one of the corners, maybe you decide to sit and pray for a moment as the worship team leads us. That'd be good not to rush into an activity that we're used to rushing into. That would be good to sit and to prayerfully contemplate how you're walking in obedience before the Lord. Maybe you need a time for repentance in your seats. Maybe you need to pray together as a family. Maybe you need to grab somebody else in the body of Christ and say, hey, can I pray with you? Or maybe, maybe there's reconciliation that needs to happen. Maybe you know somebody that's, that's discouraged, that's downhearted, and you say, I need to find this person and just pray with them. Brothers and sisters, this is all a wonderfully appropriate time for all of these things and more. Let's not just make it into a rote pattern that we do each week. Forgetting the meaning, forgetting the purpose, and going on with life. God has broken down every kind of division that we can ever possibly experience. Let's not erect more division. Let's not find ways to point at invisible dividing walls that God is conquered in the cross. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for who you are in Christ, in, in the Spirit, in the Father. Three persons in one God, working together in perfect harmony. In fact, never seeing or experiencing division because you're perfect in every way. You've always had perfect harmony in the Godhead. And we praise you for that. Father, may we experience what you intend for us as a body of Christ. May we learn increasingly to be selfless, to be humble, always remembering that we were once far off, but now we have been brought near in Christ. Freeing us to live for your glory, prioritizing the priorities of you for your kingdom people, always seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that everything else that we need in life will be added to us. We can trust you fully. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.